Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. So, welcome to uh, Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes. Mickey Flanagan's in for the second part of the uh, interview, telling us all about some of his life illegally in America. <laughs> Uh, last uh, time, and so then you went to university. We covered that bit. No, no, I didn't. I came back, and I then learnt a trade. All right, I, I moved into the furniture trade, which I thought was a slightly more um, would give me a bit more independence to learn some skills. Yeah, you know, to get, when you're sort of working class with no education, you've got a choice. You, you, if, you, if you can learn a trade. It, but what was the trade, though? Furniture? Yeah, making, making furniture. Well, it was actually a thing called table lining, which was putting the lever on top of desks, and then there were the gold gilt around the yeah. edge, and then you make it look how antiqued and old. Um, the, the furniture trade was massive in the uh, East End back in the early yeah, 80s. Yeah, people don't like furniture anymore, do they? No, they're, they're all bee it's all bags now. Yeah, the bee yeah, bag is king. Yeah, and fridges. Fridges, yeah, electrical goods. Yeah, that's, that's mainly what the trades are now. So how many? How long did you do that for then? About seven or eight years. About seven that's years. That's a long time. Yeah. And but it was the first time I ever did anything properly. You know, so I got my head down and I learnt a trade. Was four years of that actually an apprenticeship? About three and a half, four years before you could actually say, I can do this job from beginning to end. There's nothing you can throw at me that I can't do really well and really quickly. What, everything I just put in that bit of gold guild on the table? Yeah. That's all you could do? That I could do. And I could also run a small business. You know, I could answer them. Because we bought and sold furniture as well. Right. Um, we, you know. Cash that, in hand? Plenty of cash flying around, you know. Um, so it was basically gone. I went from being 18 years old to roughly about 25 and being able to run a small business, you know. And was it not a part of you that wanted to stay in America since you loved it so much? Well, I went backwards and forwards, kept going back to check, you know, do, could I make a life in this country? You know, because I'd met so many people out there who were staying. English people. And Irish guys. Well, they get everywhere. Yeah, we just said, we're not going on. That's it. We're done. There's nothing back there for us. And uh, and I suppose because I lived in London, I always felt maybe there is something in London for me. Furniture. You know, maybe if I'd have come from a town where there really was nothing. I'm, you, know, but... you can name Peterborough if you want. <laughs> I, don't think there's the any, I don't think there's any arenas there. You're not going to lose out. No, Peterborough. If yeah. I'd have come from Peterborough... Um, so, you know, and I kept coming back and I went backwards and forwards. I went on a couple of holidays and then... Because you had the magic visa. Yes, I had my multiple and indefinite. I don't know if you can get them now. Um, but anyway, so at about 25, 26, the business went tits up due to the economy crashing, exports you know, taking over the... So shall we edit that out about saying you could run a business? Because well, I obviously, I could run a business where there were people coming in yeah. to purchase items. No, but we literally couldn't compete. And With the big... Uh, with the big importers right. and exporters and furniture. And, that way. and so the, the very furniture we were making was being imported for less than half the price. And so you just go, well, this is it. This is what they call the global economy. These are the effects. So the business went downhill over the space of a year. And at the end of that, I just thought, well, that's it. You know, this is what can happen in business. 
Now, at this point, were you married? You're not married, are you? N- now I'm married, you are, yeah. But you were with the woman then, yeah? No, no, no. I was with another girl. That had gone horribly wrong as well. And were you still in this uh, council one... No, this that was at the point the where... The dead I... man's place. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the woman phone. Would you like a dead man's ass? <laughs> yeah, why not, love? Um... It was a happy death. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd actually... Um, over the course of that four or five years, I'd met a girl, fell in love. We went to live in, you know, uh, Ilford, I think. Ilford Seven Kings, around that area. That didn't really work out. Um, we broke up. Um, and so I just went back to my mum yet again and said, Mum, I've got to come back home. I was in all sorts of debt. You were 40 then, yeah? <laughs> God, you can't find a dead man's ass. But, uh, no, so I moved back in again, but this time in huge debt, which right. I'd got into because I didn't pay me tax. I didn't have a job, didn't have anywhere to live. And that was what more or less cajoled me into sort of going back into education, thinking, well, I've got nothing to lose, nothing's free going house, on. Free boarding from the yeah. folks. I went back, got back to my bedroom and uh, looked at the fading Bruce Lee poster and thought, I love what can this. you do? Yeah. So when you were growing up, like, you've got brothers and sisters. Yeah. So did you have to share a room when you were a kid? I shared a room with my brother, yeah. So like me, you learned how to masturbate very quietly. Very, very quietly. Um, and I, I think he used to as well. You know, and he was and and did you do it into a this sock? was a tiny bedroom as well? You know what yeah. they would now call a box room? Yeah, yeah. We had two beds in there, not bunk beds. <laughs> we had bunk beds when we were younger, but then we've got two normal beds, and I had to climb over him to get into bed. Did you get on all right though? Yeah, we did actually. Right. Yeah, but when he because he was a few years older than me, I can remember him coming. I'm stinking a beer and. You know, like... The expensive stuff. Yeah, yeah. Drinking pills he had. So uh, what age were you when you started drinking then? 14. Right, so you left school (laughs) straight to the pub. More or less. It all happened in the space of about... 20 minutes. (laughs) An hour. Let's call it an hour. Well, you basically... You find the first pub you can get a drink in. Yeah, there was always a couple. There was always one or so. And and more or less, the, the general belief was, as long as you don't drink too much, start making a nuisance of yourself. But did you, like, I used to do things like uh, rub newspaper print on my face to make it look like stubble. Really? To try to get served in bars. And sometimes go in with a motorbike uh, helmet. <laughs> well, that, that's a good one. Yeah. Because yeah, if he's got a motorbike. Yeah, he must be, at least yeah. 16. Yeah. But your pubs, they just go, yeah, just don't drink too much. No, it was, it was a general understanding. As long as you could behave yourself and not, you know, if I started going up to the bar at 14 and a half and saying to the bloke, I'll have two large whiskies and a pint of strong lager, you'd say, I think you better think again, bruv. But I you're having that... half a lager and lime and go and sit over there. If you make any noise, you're out. <laughs> I used to love that thing of when you knew they definitely weren't going to serve you, they'd always go, uh, what age are you? And I'd I'd always go, "Uh, 32. (laughs) Because you knew you weren't getting served anyway. But so, back, so now you, are you you going to bring out a book, by the way? Uh, At some point, hopefully, yeah, the biography. I'm getting the impression you're quite lazy, Mickey. Um, You you might write the sitcom at some point. Yeah, it's been a really sort of um, big year stroke period you know when right. i had to reassess you know what i really want what this do. year well you know i went off and i did two major uk tours on the bounce right. almost and then this year was supposed to be one where i just sat around and sort of enjoyed the fact that they were done and they were yeah. successful and then we went and made this tv show with sky which was great fun but i've not really had the time to sit back and go and 
reflect on it, you know. Yeah, but I, so love... I don't want to rush into anything. I'd only be halfway through it and go, what the, what, what the fuck am I doing writing a book? I don't want to write a book. But do you find that thing as well that, um, like, you're one of the most successful comics in the country at the moment, but yet, like, obviously the sitcom hopefully will come off, but you're still made to just, to keep your profile up, go on shit panel shows. Yeah, I think. You, <laughs> It's almost like the industry now. It, it, the model is in place, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so they'll, have to, they'll have to change it, but obviously you being a suitsayer and a prophet, mm. I was hoping you'd let me know what's next. What is next? You, kind I, of, you told us about global uh, crash. Yeah, yeah. You knew... What's uh, next for comedy? Yeah, what's happening in the world of comedy? I think there's certainly going to be uh, an, a slightly... This model of, um, you know, do some TV appearances... Go and go on a little UK tour, build up an audience, and eventually end up in arenas is quite obviously not for everybody. No. It can't happen for everyone. But look, we spoke about this last time, just when I was talking to you off air about uh, you love playing the arenas. Uh, no, I would say that I saw them as they weren't. It wasn't horrible, but you know they come with their just basic problems of you know getting fifteen thousand people to sit down and focus yeah. at the start of a show. Is no easy thing. And would you be bricking it, or would it be the same? No, I was never no more. I was never more worried about that than walking out of the comedy store. You know. See, I find that fascinating because I just, as you said, fifteen thousand people. Well, we just used to. It was like when we were window cleaners. We used to say, "Well, after the second floor, you're dead anyway." So it doesn't matter if you're on the fifteenth floor. The yeah, it's like you know, once you. Yeah, I guess. It's like, it is what it is. So when were you a window cleaner? You you left that bit out. Well, I did that when I was. Um, Studying to go, doing the Open University and doing my English GCSE. I used to window clean to give me a bit of extra money, you know. You were still living at home, though, yeah? Yeah. Right, I so never wanted to be poor, you know. I never wanted to have no money. A little bit of independence. Yeah, you got to have a few quid. And you'd take the odd pound from your mum's purse as well, yeah? Yeah, and me dad, obviously, yeah. yeah. Well, was, that, was your dad a drinker? Yes. Yeah, so you did that classic thing that when he came home pissed, just go through <laughs> his pockets. <laughs> I used to ask. I caught him once walking down Bethnal Green, drunk out of his mind, and I made him buy me a gun and more cricket bat in Brody Sports. Or you'd tell on him. Yeah, well, I just got him in there, drunk, and like, right. led him to the dearer ones. <laughs> and and uh, I remember sort of him the next day looking, and go, where'd you get that bat? <laughs> I said. Dad, you bought it for me yesterday. He did have the art to go, that's going back. <laughs> I thought it was about £4.50 or something. Right. So, yeah. but so, so, that, so you're doing the window cleaning, and then fair play to you, you start doing all your social studies. Yeah. And yeah. then when you finished that, where were you at? Well, that was when the comedy kicked in. Once I'd finished university, and then I went and did teacher training for a year, um, because like for a lot of people who become a mature student and then get a degree, it's, teaching always keeps coming up. You know, right. or you could be a teacher, you'd be perfect. You, you know, and so I went and gave that a try for a year. Hated it. Didn't you know? Wasn't the job for me. But it was during that year that I started doing open spots and like, I sort of did Jackson's Lane. But so, like, because as you said, you never thought about doing comedy. So where was the kind of uh, stepping stone for you going? Oh, I'm going to try this now. I think just going to comedy clubs and seeing guys doing it and thinking, I could do that. I really think I could do that. I think most people in the audience think that, though, don't they? They do, yeah, and they find out very quickly that they can't. Yeah. But a few of us think, oh, actually, this is working. Was it hard at the start, though? Yeah, really hard. But, I, I, you know, I know you say about about not 
you can't learn anything at a comedy course. But when sort of Ivor Dembina said, if you're paid to get do five minutes, do five minutes and do your best five minutes. Don't mess about. Little things like that. And you think, well, yeah, he's right. You know. But you like to mess about, though, don't you? You, you Well, you can mess about, <clears> but not when you're asking a promoter to give you some stage time on a Saturday night in front of a paying audience. Are you really going to go on there and... You know, bollocks his night up for. Well, him. no, you're not bollocksing the night up, but like, you, you, like people love interaction of a night because they know it's only happening that night. You yeah, know? but you've not earned that right as an open spot, have you? <laughs> no. to go, you, you know, but, you've you know, earned that right to mess around. But, but you did that huge comedy course. Yeah, yeah. But, so I just, you know, I just felt that, and, and I think most people who do stand up. You, you you know, you're looking for little seeds of hope very early on. Yeah. So that thing that you thought would be really funny, and it actually is really funny, you go, well, if I can do that with a couple of minutes, I'm sure <coughs> I could build up to 10 and 20 and half an you, hour. Like, how long were you on the circuit for then? About 14 years, 12 to 14 So years. you really put in your... You've only spurs. Well, I never saw it as a, as a sort of um, something to be rushed through and got beyond i always thought i thought it was absolutely brilliant being on the circuit it was a life but that's what i mean life but then it's so like you're doing that and you must have thought if you're doing it 14 years you're not going to have a big breakthrough no because i genuinely i I, you know this i have to be very careful here that i don't sound like i I always thought that when i'm ready to push this career on i'll i will push it on but you did have that in the back of your mind and and i just thought and i'll deal with the circumstances you know if, if i get rejected at that point then that's life but, you know, but, you, I, but I wasn't going to do it because everyone kept telling me that I, that's what I should do, you know. But were you, like, you did one-man shows in Edinburgh as well, yeah? Yeah, my, I did uh, two of the package shows, you know, where you do yeah. 20 minutes, yeah. I did a couple of those. Then I went back with Nina Conti and we did half an hour each. And then I went back and did my own hour show when I thought I had a really good hour and I would enjoy it and I would get people in and we'll see what happens. So you are only ever did the one, one man show? And then I, I, so I got the nomination that year. I came away. I never went back the year after. But then I went back in 2009, largely due to the fact that I knew I was already starting to burn big bits of my material on TV to right. try and find an audience, you know? So well, you, there, was, there isn't that many opportunities. Like, but I got the impression, I might be wrong, but it was Live at the Apollo that did it for you, wasn't it? Um, probably Michael McIntyre's Roadshow. Right. Yeah, I was on the first wave of that series. And it just happened then, after that? More or less that, combined with the Radio 4 series. So I didn't know about that, Yeah, it? I mean, that had gone... About foxes? <laughs> dead, dead, man, dead fox tells no tales. Um, no, it was, you know... The good thing about going to Edinburgh in 2007 is that I was ready to more or less tour off the back of that if right. I really wanted to. And um, but I decided not to because I thought I'm not going to start playing to two small audiences because the ratio, what you'd earn on the circuit outweighs what you'd earn playing small rooms. So we had to try and get that balance right. Yeah, but uh, when I, I tipped over, I found that um, I couldn't wait to get off the circuit because I didn't mm. like that 20 minute. Kind yeah, of, you know we kind of pretty much doing the same stuff yeah, all the time. Yeah. Did you not find after you started doing your one man shows that you wanted to do more of that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I always knew it would be a much nicer way to do stand up. But too many people had, had taken that, that leap and were playing to nobody. Yeah, but that's, that's the weird thing, because weirdly, Christian O'Connell told me a story about you, where you were supposed to go somewhere like Hull to do a gig, and apparently there was only six people there, and he's going, I don't want to do it. 
And he yeah. said, you said to him, you take every opportunity you get to go on stage. We're doing that gig. Yeah. Is that, and yeah. That, that was your kind of uh, philosophy, really, going, I'm just getting on stage. No, you were, you were saying the words again, and you were going to hopefully say them uh, more clearly. You know, if you, that's what you, the way I see building up to be a, a good stand-up is that you're, it's little percentage points, isn't yeah. it? You know, you're not going to totally arrive overnight, but if you can say, tonight I made this, that show... 1.4% better by doing that bit there and adding that bit and dropping that bit because it's often what you drop that makes a show better. Yes, do you um do you, you don't write on stage and you have it all pre-planned. No, I write all the ideas down uh and then I work around them on stage. Yeah, so well, that's quite brave. Yeah, I mean you know, I think as we all know, I mean, the, a large majority of it isn't it's just not very good. But that's is that weird thing as well now that you're a household name you can get away with lesser material. Probably. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Yeah. Not just you, just in general. That's the way it goes. People yeah. are just delighted to see you. Yeah. Yeah, there is... Um a sort of almost you become, I don't know, loved or appreciated. You're pushing it now. <laughs> we like you, Mickey. Honoured, revered, ennobled, you know, profit-like. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You, I am here to, to show people the way. Absolutely. You know? And so <clears throat> when you met your present girlfriend, which I assume is going to be the love of your life. She is the love yeah. of my life. Because how long yeah. have you been with her? I've been with her for, well, we met in the year 2000. Yeah, so about 14 years now. Something. So how has the change affected her then? Um, yeah, again, luckily enough, she's grown up with me in stand-up. You know, she I was still doing shows when we first met where, you know, we'd turn up and there'd be no audience. Yeah. Or I would go on in the middle and not do very well and or, or sort of get heckled and I'll go, I'll go away and write some good material, mate. And so she saw that horrific side of sure. stand-up and how horrible it can be. So consequently, you know, when she comes to see me in the West End, uh, you know, she, she thinks, yeah, you've earned the right to be here. But yeah. you still have separate bank accounts, do you? Yes. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have all the money. <laughs> right. She gets... I've, Pocket money. She gets five pins a week. And if she can sell those, yeah. she gets to keep half the money. What you should do is maybe give her the two first digits of your <laughs> bank account and then over a period of time see if she guesses the other two. She'd guess them. Don't worry. She's about good at that. She though. would crack that. So, now, um, I, as I say, I enjoyed uh, you got one more of the sky thing. So yeah. just, I love the fact that you were so lazy in this. Yeah. And you pretty much to camera go, this is a jolly. Yeah. We are doing nothing. Well, because I can't lie on tv i find it almost impossible to be more enthusiastic on tv than i would be in real life about things i, I hate it you know so i've been offered these sorts of shows for the last few years you know do you want to go here and find out about this do you want to go on uh, a, a 
car journey where you risk your life. Do you? Some yeah. very vague notions they were giving you. Yeah? Well, Can you, know you be a it, bit more specific? <laughs> a car is, journey? Where? Well, what's that sense in which it's a, like a, that mission TV? Yeah. You so know. What made you I'm take a, that one then? The, the well, because it was my idea. Okay. You know, I sort of, well, me and Christian, we sat down. Because we'd been batting off these things for two or three years, he sort of said to me, you know, do you ever want to do anything like this? And I said, well, yeah, but I'm going to do it with a mate who I like, something I want to do, to go to a country where I'm happy to go. So he said, well, what would those three things be? But then you arrived in Belgium and you hated it. I didn't hate it. Well, it was I think... just a bit... Born? Belgium, isn't it? It's, you know, it's... You, I'm not overly impressed by You were so bored, you were throwing... Um, bloody <laughs> puppet cats out of a yeah. window. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, in the final episode, we actually go to a beret museum. Right. I, I, I enjoyed you. Much, that's how we were running out of things to do. I was. I enjoyed you going to that really bad art gallery. Yeah, the Delvaux. Yeah. Mr. Delvaux. Is that something you'd go to normally, though? Yeah, if I was around, I would sort of look and go, let's pop in there for an hour, hour and a half. Because yeah. you were just going to just picture. Well, no, be, I've, I've done this on TV where I've talked about, I think it's because that sense in which if you've, you know, working class people are always not allowed to have an opinion on certain art, you know, and go in galleries yeah. because you don't have the capacity to enjoy these things at the level they're supposed to be enjoyed at. So they are just, whereas I, I think that you can look at, most people can look and go, this is not very good. Yeah. You know, but, no, you're right, but, but if Brian Saul says it, we all go, oh, maybe he's right. But if you say it, they think, what do you know? But have you come across that kind of attitude throughout your life, especially with your accent and stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think when I say to you I caught um, the tail end of old London, I didn't just catch the buildings being broken and the economy being shot to pieces. I caught the opinions as well of a lot of people from that generation who basically a place for every man and every man in his place and don't come out of it too quickly. Yeah. You know, and that, so consequently, I've spent a lot of my life sort of having to say to people, um, you I'm know, pissed. <laughs> <laughs> where's the door? <laughs> I can't find my way out. Or just a sense in which, you know, I hate that when people say, oh, you've got a chip on your shoulder. No, no you've not. What no. you're saying is, you know, I'm entitled. If you, if you, you can talk to me like any way you like, but you might just get a bit surprised by the reaction because this ain't 1933 and this ain't Downton Abbey. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, so, well, yeah, I kind of... Like, there is a lot of snobbery with a lot of stuff like that. And do you find, like, when you're going in for meetings now for pictures for TV, they're a little bit, oh, he won't know what to do because your accent. Possibly, yeah. I think there'll always be a sense in which your accent and your lack of education might affect the way people see you. But, you know, I think... You've just got to continually... You've got to completely roll over that. And, and once you're coming <coughs> up with the goods... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really surprising how quickly people forget that you talk with a cockney twang or, you know... Well, it's so refreshing in London nowadays to have someone with a cockney twang. But you said you're 52 or 53? 52. So 53, that's when the long hair goes? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I was, on a, I was on a flight about five years ago and I read a, a, a magazine article about things you must not have in your late 40s. Yeah, and one of them was 
hair that's be- below the collar, a big watch, and baggy jeans. And I had all three at that moment on that plane. I thought, man, you've got to sort yourself no, out. No, it suits you, but like, it is that thing of like, I don't think I'd ever have long hair ever again. It just gets... Never? Well, I think it would look stupid now. It, I'm not saying you look stupid. <laughs> it suits you. I nearly fell into a trap there. Do you want me to put my half ponytail in? Yeah, put that on. And my uh, wife likes this. She imagines she's living with a gangster or something. It's more like a... A, a tennis player on the senior circuit? Or a pro footballer, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could be on the Sky panel. Yeah, yeah. But so what else have we got coming up? Are you taking it easy for now? Well, basically, um, we've just got to do the last bit of PR for the uh, French show. And then I'm not doing anything till after Christmas. Um, and then after Christmas, we'll look and go, right, what do you really want to do with uh, next year? But it'll mainly be writing the sitcom, yeah? But possibly. I mean... You don't seem that enthusiastic about the sitcom. No, because I realise that the and hard I'm expecting work. a part. <laughs> this That's why it. I keep on pushing Hold you on, towards let me get it. me Lister again. <laughs> me, Ivor Dembina. <laughs> Ivor, <laughs> Rob. Um, it's payback time, yeah. Um, no, it, it may not happen, which is why I don't... Has it not been commissioned then? No, no. But, you know, it's not. No, okay. nothing's been commissioned. It's very, very easy if you have a bit of success for everybody to sort of say, you know, this is what we'd like you to do. These are the things that we, we, you can do. Your job is to be really honest with yourself and say, as much as I'd like to do that, either A, I don't want to, or B, I don't think, you know, I don't have the time and the inclination at well, the moment. you're of an age, and you, as you say, you have security, so you, you're right. Just say no to the things that they yeah. say that you should do. Yeah. That's, that's what security is, really. Yeah, but, I, I really want to, to be honest. I mean, it's like, you know, because you, you come from the stage, that's sort of, I'm drawn back to that. Yeah. But, you know, you probably know full well that when sta- a stand-up has a certain amount of success, everyone comes around and goes, well, what else can we do with them? I know. And it's, you know, and, you, and it's like, well, I, I just want to go back on the stage, really. But yeah, the only problem is you can't really go on stage every night. You go crazy. No, that's, it's a, not a life that you can sustain yeah. year after year. And are you, like, taking notes for new shows now? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got loads of notes at home. Yeah. On the, uh, but I've made a, I've made a uh, concerted effort not to do any stand-up this year, and it will probably... Not even, like, little club nights just to try some... No, nothing. I, You know, I don't want to say that I was sick of it, but I had done nearly 15, 16 years of permanent stand-up. Yeah. Having two weeks off for holidays and things like that, so... Which turn into six months. Well, this is the longest period I've not done stand-up for. But you're not getting bored, though. No. No, I'm not really. There's a little bit of me now thinking, oh, all right. But, but, I mean, just making one TV show a year can really take up a lot of time. You Certainly because we co-produced Mickey. it. No, we co-produced it. I had to be part, I had to be right across it with the uh, editing. Every every decision that was made, I was involved. I so didn't just you go were and involved make a show in and throwing those little cuts out the window? Well, I really wanted Brian to go back up on the window ledge. He's a terrifying man. You know, he's uh, he gets shot out of a cannon as well. Does he? Yeah, he does anything okay. where it's, it could kill him. All right, well, that's nice. <laughs> um, but so, um, but so, on your day to day, you you actually are able to enjoy your days off now, then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think 
part of the very um, essence of being a stand-up is that you can while away the hours. I think if you're someone who's you're a busy, productive person, don't become a stand-up. It'll kill you. I know. There's, well, there's too many hours in the, in the day. Yeah, no, you've got to be able to say, you know, I'll post that letter at 11. Yeah. You know, I've got that little programme. I might watch that at half two. Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, I've got a Thomas on there. Um, and, you know, that's your... But part of your job is to kill time and to, to not get frustrated by it or bored by it. But, you know, listen to the radio, read the paper, go for a walk. But that's what I'm, we were talking just beforehand, and you said you've solved your problem, but as you get older, you wake up earlier, yeah. which is a comic's nightmare. Like, yeah. I could get in from a show. I played Portsmouth the other night. Really? Yeah, got in, and I thought it was uh, somewhere else. So it really annoyed me when they sat and I said, no, there's another 60 miles. And I was going, oh, my God, I thought I was playing Farnham. And it was fair ham. Oh, in, no. And I was going, oh, God. And uh, so, you know, you get in around uh, one o'clock, and obviously you have to come down with a little glass of wine, or maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, get to sleep around three o'clock, zing, six o'clock, I'm up. So what are you going to do about it, you know? I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> well, this, you know, if you can't get round that problem, you're going to end up sleep-deprived and miserable down to the very thing i hope you enjoy doing which yeah. is, so when i was on tour on the last um the last big tour and when it got to the last part of the year and i was absolutely shattered right you know my job was to get out of bed at about 11 12 o'clock i wish i could do and that. conserve that energy till half past seven eight o'clock that night that was my job yeah and anything that came in and said can i have a little bit of that energy well, that's a, a friend. You know, when people you're on tour and people say, "Oh, come and meet me for lunch," or you think, "No, no, 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 no you're breaking my day up now." Yeah. You know that I'm going to have to talk to you. I know, I know and that I know will take energy, and I don't have that energy. You know, I, it's a weird thing of like uh, I don't mind doing not even posting a letter if, if I've got a gig that night because I go, "No, I'm working later," <laughs> so I'll post a letter on a day off. Or might even <laughs> not bother with a letter and send an email since yeah. I'm living in 2014. Yeah. But it's uh, it's been great talking to you. But the last thing I want to... Because when you're saying, like, for instance, you're playing the arenas, but you, you're doing them, like, six nights in a trot. I tried to limit it to five. But how bored do you get during those days? Um, it is... It, it's almost like a discipline in itself to get through that day. And, and I think you just get into a rhythm... You know, um, you, the best part of the day is your lunch because you're not nervous yet and you're starving. Out. You've got to have a really nice big lunch. And then you can, uh, I don't know, go to the gym for an hour if there's one in the hotel, go for a swim, you come back, you watch a bit of the chase or something. Ago, you're conserving all this energy all day. Now you're in the gym, you're swimming. No, but that's, that's physical that might give you a little boost. Even that's got to be looked at very closely. You wouldn't start going, well, I'm going to go and do three hours in the gym. And no. Walk. I'm talking like 40 minutes or something. It's killing time. Well, see, this is what I did. I uh, In Edinburgh, last time I was up there, I joined the gym for a month, and I go, I'll go every day just to pass the time because I'm yeah. bored. You know, you're in... The- not a dead man's flat, but a man who's gone away and charged you a lot of fucking yeah, money. Yeah, those Edinburgh flats yeah. can be brutal, oh. can't they? But I went to the gym the first day, 10 minutes on the uh, rowing machine, 10 minutes on the bike, 10 minutes lifting shit. I thought, I'll go come the next day. No, I went to the physio the next day because I couldn't move my back. <laughs> 
Well, that's the other thing about getting older. Yeah, everything has to be tempered. Yeah. You don't go to the gym and go, I'm going to get fit this afternoon. You, you know. But this life, for want of a better word, of the, the comedian's life, is it's no different from people who work in theatre or work in yeah. restaurants and bars. There are thousands of people who have to be on when other people are off. Yeah, see, that's and, the first that, thing. You're, if you can't cope with that life and that life gets you down or you don't have the skills to deal with it... Because you know when you start doing stand-up first and you're very aware that you're going the other direction of yeah. everybody else, yeah. transport-wise. You feel a bit weird walking around during the day all the time, feeling almost like naughty, as if you're going to be rounded up in a van and saying, what are you doing? But do you get that thing as well of... Uh, and it only happens every so often, but... When, like, say you're just doing a 20-minute set and you're not on till half ten and uh, you don't have to leave the house till nine o'clock and you're going, I'm settled in now. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a brutal time. Isn't it? I, that's why when I was on the circuit, I always tried to get an opening slot so that I would do uh, an opening set somewhere and then from there go on to do a closing set. And never claimed any tax on any of that money. No, no. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> Listen, Mickey, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much for coming in, because I know you don't do too much. I really appreciate it. That's all right. And, uh, enjoy your time off till Christmas. I really am going to enjoy it. And have you got the uh, Evans presents in? Have you no, got Ivor anything no, yet? No, no. I, uh, my, no doubt my wife, at this very moment, is in some sort of laptop frenzy buying presents that I will find out about. What I try to do is ask her the day before, what did we get so-and-so? What did we get so-and-so? But, all right, last question is, like... Uh, now that you have a bit of money, do the Christmas presents get better? What, for my friends? Yeah. No. no, for your family. <laughs> um, yeah, of course they do. Good. But not to the point where, you know, she's not going to get a sort of speedboat or something. You know, well, where would you put I'm it? getting that. Yeah. I'm going to put that out the front of the But end. I love the fact that as well, like, you know, I don't know how much your clothes cost, but you haven't changed in that sense at all. And I nah. hate, see, I, like, being working class as well, I can't stand people to spend more than 300 quid on clothes. No. I just go, why are you doing that? No, I, once a year I go out and spend, you know, some money on, because I hate shopping. Yeah. And I go, right, okay, the cut the jumpers, cut the shirts, job done, and that's it. I can't. And did you do that with your Marks and Sparks voucher? I do that at Lidl. Right. We've got George. a very good clothing department, but they don't talk about it. Right. You know, you have to know the manager. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that off air. Listen, you've been listening to Mickey Flanagan. This has been uh, Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes. Uh, thanks for listening.